All right, I just had a flashback. I almost dismissed the children to children's ministry. Y'all remember those days? <laughs> uh, all right, you should be warned anytime the pastor brings tissue with him. Uh, be a concerning moment for everybody. Um, let me just encourage our dads. Uh, I think, you know, thank you, Nick and Evan, for the clear explanation of what this is attempting to do. But it's also trying to find a parking space in lives that don't have any available parking spaces. So uh, what do we do as a culture of fathers walking in this hour of existence in the world that we live in? seeking to do one of the most important tasks of our lives. Let's let's face it, there's a lot of noise out there. How much input are you getting as a dad to help you navigate these days, to help you with decisions you're making and ways that you're leading and means of encouragement in your own soul, to keep going when it looks like nothing is perhaps working or you don't feel like you've got your A game going on, Uh, We we need a sense of greater culture and community to be that for each other. So, guys, disencouragement, somehow make some space for that. Uh, Don't just be the guy who says, hey, I'll come to that when when I get a flat and i got to pull over and somebody's got to fix me. Yeah, but you might be the guy who needs to help fix somebody else. So don't overlook the sense of community works in two directions and the church should be that kind of community. We, we are there to receive, we're also there to give. You need to be in meetings with other fathers who are struggling through being a father so you can learn how to encourage that dad. Come alongside of him, listen to something in a meeting that took place and you know you can meet with that person and say, hey man, let me just encourage me, pray with you, let's talk about that a little bit. So let's create a culture, dads, here that's gonna be effective for the years that we are spending with our children. Hope to see you on uh, Saturday. All right. Would you uh, open up your Bible this morning to Matthew chapter 9, the end of that chapter. I'm going to read that verse and get it before us. We're starting a new year. I normally start a beginning of the year series just to get some things that I believe are close and near to the heart of God to us. And we're not necessarily just following the next passage that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Uh, We'll get back to those guys in the future, but right now, just some time in the coming weeks to to hear some things that God wants to say to us as a church right now in this moment of the lives that we're living as we venture into the year 2021. And uh, this passage is the one we're starting with. I feel like the Lord directed us here. So let's read Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his 
harvest. I, I titled this message this morning, Seeing the Crowds. Uh, we've had a lot of experience in seeing crowds lately, haven't we? Had a lot of experience in 2020, seeing crowds. We've had ongoing experience in seeing crowds in the year 2021. A week and a half ago, we saw crowds gather in Washington, D.C. We saw crowds uh, attack the Capitol building in our nation's capital. Uh, we saw scenes that most of us have never seen in our lives in this country. But crowds gathering and crowds expressing something by way of emotion and thought and issues, that's not new, is it? Matter of fact, we've seen a lot of that. We saw 2020 filled with crowds that gathered all over our country, not just all over our country, but all over the world. Now, we've got a a decent-sized contingency in our church. Some of you guys have gotten to know these guys. They're wonderful folks uh, from Nigeria. And so I was meeting with some of them throughout the year and, you know, got concerned, just like we were concerned for things going on in our country. They had some things going on in their country where crowds were gathering and they were dangerous situations that were happening. And some of their family members lived near uh, some of these events. There are crowds gathering everywhere, right? Can we hold on to a few thoughts today as we think about crowds? Uh, Crowds gather around issues, You gather a crowd because there's an issue that gathers the crowd, right? It used to be, you guys can remember when a a, a large crowd would gather in the Superdome on Sundays. Can y'all remember back that far? There'll be a small crowd gathered there today. Uh, It'll be a little bit different, but that's a crowd that's gathered, right? And they've got a purpose in being there together. And and most of them uh, have the same purpose and they are jazzed up and they are affected and that, that means something to them. Uh, There are crowds gathered at political rallies. They have reasons for being there. They have a set of thoughts and emotions that that go with them. There are protest crowds that gather. They have reasons for being there, right? There are issues and ideas that get inside of us that cause crowds to respond to life and to do things. That's not new to humanity, really. I mean, it seems like crowds don't get in the press as much as they have in the last year or so. But that's not new to humanity. That's not unique to the year 2020 or going into the year 2021. As a matter of fact, uh, according to this verse here, there were crowds that gathered in Jesus' day as well. In verse 36, some translations will say, seeing the crowds. And I wrote out a thought for you just for a moment. Just think for a second. What did that look like when Jesus saw these crowds? What what do you think he was seeing in that moment, right? I wrote a little paragraph in your notes. What do you think it looked like when Jesus and his apostles went from city to city in the first century, right? They main road into that town. They come walking in. There's going to be a town square somewhere. Do we think Jesus came upon cities that were filled with protesters and riots? Crowds that were in a frenzy? Crowds that were angry? Crowds that were setting buildings on fire? Crowds that were freaked out over the latest oppressive act of the government? 
crowds that were responding to the rows of crosses that dotted the highway on the way into the city where people that perhaps some of them actually knew were hanging on these crosses after they had been through some form of a kangaroo court that you saw modeled in the way in which Jesus Christ was convicted and put upon a cross. Right? The Romans had a way of communicating to their citizens how to stay in line. And one of them was to decorate the highways on your way into your main cities with crosses that were filled with people that were left there. So you could watch them die slowly. Then you could watch the birds eat their flesh. That was a motivational technique. And you walked by that and you saw that and you were quite aware that comes from these Roman oppressors who live in our land and dominate us. And you get inside that city and you find out because you recognize the shopkeeper who was on one of those crosses. And you find out what it was like for him to face trial and to go to court and to land on that cross. And you know the injustice that was done in that moment. This is what it was like to go from town to town and hear people discuss issues, issues of their day. So these disciples, interesting, uh, there's it's an interesting little collection of verses here, reading from Matthew 8, Matthew 9, end of Matthew 9, beginning of Matthew chapter 10. When you get to chapter 10, you're going to get one of the list of the 12 apostles. You're going to get to know them by name. And a couple of them are going to have qualifiers next to their names. You're going to meet some of them, just James. But then you're going to meet Matthew, the tax collector. And a little while later, you're going to meet Simon, the zealot. Now, if you read too fast and you don't know anything about those two phrases, you just read past a very complicated situation. Jesus is going to handpick by the Holy Spirit 12 apostles. One of them is going to be Matthew, the tax collector. Now, in all that we know of that moment, this Roman-dominated, oppressive situation that's been thrust upon these Jews, this guy, Matthew, is a Jew turning on his own people. He's a tax collector. He collects taxes for the people who stick the guys on those crosses on the way into the city. He pays for the army that is oppressing you on a regular basis. He is part of the regime that's making your life miserable because they're taking way too much money from you on a regular basis. Oh, by the way, he's putting some of it in his pocket as well. He is a betrayer of the Jews. And now he's following Jesus. I don't know if he's sharing a bunk with this guy or not, but what an interesting person to hang out with, Simon the Zealot. Uh, Not sure what Simon was doing just the weekend before he decided to follow Jesus, but more than likely he was car bombing Roman chariots the weekend before he came to follow Jesus. He is Simon the Zealot, right? The archaeological study Bible says the Zealots were radical Jews who sought the violent overthrow of the Roman regime in Judea under the rallying cry, no king but God. How many of you guys know that 
rallying cries and crowds are not new. You know, whether it's MAGA or Stop the Steal or No Justice, No Peace, every group gets a slogan. And their slogan in the day, no king, but God had edges all over it. Because if you were acknowledging the king, then you were dishonoring God. Their slogans have always got a razor's edge to them designed to slice the people who aren't on board with the slogan. The Essenes were another protest group in early Judaism. This faction most likely grew out of mid-2nd century B.C. reform movements that arose during the Maccabean Revolt. By the 1st century A.D., the Essenes were a significant force for renewal in Judaism. So when the apostles strolled into town and there were demonstrations and there were crowds and there was noise and there were people holding the attention and yelling at the top of their voice, can you imagine that these apostles, they, they had some opinion in the game. They came from somewhere. They grew up around a set of ideas that shaped them to have passions about certain things. And they come into town and they hear that guy raising his voice with a crowd in front of him, promoting some kind of an idea. Was it an Essene idea? A zealot idea? Was it a different group idea? Are you Matthew? Are you, how do you feel about that, Matthew? How do you feel about that, Simon? They, these are real people following Jesus showing up in these towns and interacting with these situations. And Jesus sees the crowds. Now, I've got to be honest, you know, if I, hadn't, if I don't break out this information and tell you it from extra biblical texts, you know Simon is Simon the Zealot, but you don't really know much about that group. You don't know what they stood for. You don't know what their issues are. Matter of fact, you don't even know who the Essenes are in the Bible. Isn't it kind of interesting that Jesus came, most important figure who's ever going to communicate with human beings, and he interacted with so few of these issues? Does that get your attention at all? He didn't care? He didn't care about the social issues of the day. Is that that accurate? No. No. wrote in your outline there, instead of Jesus seeing their issues, he saw their condition, harassed and helpless. And I don't know what that creates for you, but you have to look at the context of Jesus interacting with crowds. Because when I bring up the words harassed and helpless, that feels different than the angry mob. But Jesus could see something past their slogans and their angry mob behavior. He could see something more than that. He could see their condition in this fallen world and what was going on that made their lives feel harassed and helpless when he saw these crowds. And these are powerful words. They're uncomfortable words that Jesus sees in their lives. The word harass... It means to, to skin or flay or lacerate. The New Testament, it's used as a meaning to harass or trouble or weary, to vex or annoy. 
In a passive sense, it's used of the exhausted or troubled state produced by such harassment. Jesus looked at people. He saw that in their lives. He saw an exhausted, harassed, vexed, annoyed group of people. And he used a word that was a powerfully descriptive word about the condition that they were. They were mauled. That's what they were. These people were mauled. And he saw that. And he was moved. He looked at their lives and he was moved to compassion for them. Don't make the mistake of thinking that their outward behavior is what moved him to compassion. They were probably obnoxious, many of them. He saw something beyond that. He saw their human condition and he had compassion for them. Michael Wilkins describes that compassion. His commentary says, the basic meaning of compassion is to be moved in the inward parts, which usually indicates the heart and affections. But Jesus is not simply emotional. He is moved by the profound needs of the crowd and motivated to send out workers who will bring healing to sin-sick humanity. We see the needs of people all around us. We must allow our heart to feel deeply for them. But we cannot stop there. We must get close enough to them to see how it is that we can bring healing touch of the gospel of the kingdom to their deepest needs. Can you just pause on that for just one second? We must get close enough to them. Matthew, Simon, depending on what camp you're in, You don't want to get around some of these people, do you? They think like the other people in the world, not like me. I don't want anything to do with them. As a matter of fact, let me get out my social media and let them know exactly how I feel about their stupid ideas. We must get close enough to them to see how it is that we can bring the healing touch of the gospel of the kingdom to their deepest needs. Humanity is dying without the great physician. And we are the ones who must go next door or around the world carrying his healing touch because they will be gathered in this harvest of grace or face the next harvest of judgment. The crowds are harassed and helpless. Descriptions that indicate that they are experiencing distressing difficulties and are unable to care for themselves. You ever stop for a moment? Because I know sometimes it's hard to get an accurate feel for. Yeah, this is how Jesus feels about the crowds. Are you aware this is how he feels about you? Are you aware that when he looks at your life and what you have been through, what experiences you have had, what you grew up in, 
the way you were treated when no one knew how you were being treated or everyone knew how you were being treated. He looks at your condition and he sees harassed and helpless. You aware that this is a reference to Jesus speaking of crowds that weren't following him? They didn't have their A game on. We don't know anything about their prayer lives, whether they read their Bible lately, whether they've tried harder in their marriage or not, or given up, whether they have harmed other people or treated other people well. We, we don't know that. We don't know that anybody earned Jesus' compassion for them, but we're pretty sure they did not. But he still has compassion. Are, are, are you aware of that for you? My word that when I read these verses, I have a God who looks upon my own life with compassion for me. You know, before we get to Matthew chapter 9 and this seeing of the crowds and this compassion, Jesus has already been dealing with a bunch of individuals And and it's kind of important for us to recognize something. This is not rocket science, right? Crowds are made up of individuals. I don't get real deep. I'm sorry. This is just as deep as it gets. (laughs) Crowds are made up of individuals. Individuals have stories. Crowds have issues. Individuals have stories. So if you just backed up from Matthew 9, because Matthew 9 is this turning point at the end of Matthew 9 into Matthew chapter 10 on Jesus emphasizing there's a mission here. There's a mission. And and my disciples need to be on that mission into this world. And so he carefully depicts the world into which this mission needs to take place. And Matthew chapter 9 at the end, there's this moment where he is seeking for the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into this world. But he's portraying this world, these crowds that he has compassion on. He describes them a certain way, but he individually interacted with them as well, right? You back up in the beginning of Matthew chapter eight. We won't do this, but you have Jesus healing a leper. you have any idea what the story of a leper would have been like in the first century? Do you have any idea how isolated and lonely that individual was? You want to talk about social distancing? People were terrified of getting leprosy, of what it would do to them, of what it would do to them socially. It it removes you from everyone. You live in isolation. That's the condition. Jesus sees that leper and he's moved with compassion and heals him. Jesus heals a centurion's servant. A centurion servant. Do you read past that a little too quickly? He's a Roman centurion. He may have been in charge of putting your friend on that cross. He's doing his duty by helping Matthew take your money. Do you agree with this centurion Jesus? Really? Are you supporting? Do you know what he's into? And Jesus has compassion for this man and his servant. Jesus has a meeting one night at Peter's house in Matthew chapter 8. And a long line of people who are harassed and helpless forms outside. And he stays up into the wee hours and prays for one after another. 
who are diseased, who are demonized. Demonized is a real condition, by the way. You stop seeing that, you're going to have a hard time seeing these crowds correctly. Mentioned multiple times, just in these two chapters, Matthew 8 and Matthew 9. People are being attacked by demons. People are being controlled by demons. People are being oppressed by demons. Uh, right? Curiosity moment for the nation that has, we, we live in a nation so unspiritual. We are so natural minded. Does anybody see demons when you see crowds? Not sure we do anymore. Matthew chapter 9 A desperate man comes to him who has tragically lost his daughter. Just sudden loss of a young girl in his life. I mean, can you let these crowds be people just for a second? This guy's a leader. I don't know whether he's a good leader or a bad leader. But he just lost his daughter. If you've ever been near anything like that, Any compassion in that moment for that person? They just lost their daughter. I don't know what side of the issue this guy's on. He just lost his daughter. A woman with an incurable disease for 12 years is going to find Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. 12 years. She's exhausted everything she owns. And there's no government stimulus check coming anytime soon to pay her rent. Or to meet her need, she feels helpless and hopeless. And Jesus has compassion on her. A paralytic, a blind man are going to come to Jesus. Another demon-oppressed man is going to come to Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. Now listen, uh, these are the individuals whose stories make up the crowd. They're people just like you and me. I know the world doesn't model this for us, right? In your handout, I put, when we see angry protesters, do we stop to consider the rest of their story, the tragedies, the anxieties, the human brokenness, the demonic oppression that's in their lives? When they're not storming the Capitol building or burning down police stations. To sit down at a dinner table with them. To let them tell you how they were raised. What they went through in their life. Are they just angry mobsters to us? It might mean we need to learn to look at crowds a little more carefully. Daniel Doriani says, as Jesus surveys the crowd, he inspects them. He sees them as a miserable flock of sheep, and it moves him to pity. The term Matthew uses for pity is earthy and describes a gut feeling, the deep sense of longing or sorrow We feel in the pit of our stomach. The feeling is human, yet it's divine. For God has compassion on his people. 
when Jesus surveys the crowd, he says they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus compares the crowd to a flock of sheep that has suffered attack from a predator. The word harassed literally means flayed. Their skin, their flesh is torn and mangled. The word helpless literally means thrown down. They are wounded, prostrate, and helpless. When you show up on the scene of crowds, you see any of that? I'm going to get this image from this word. This word constructs this image. Man, first century, venturing down dusty road, doing life, comes upon a sheep by the side of the road, mangled. Still alive, but mangled. Can't get up. Flesh ripped open, blood on the ground everywhere. Now, if you live in that time, you know exactly what just happened to this. As a matter of fact, you stop in your tracks and you lift your eyes up to see where's the predator. Where, where's the lion who did this? What do you see when you see crowds? Honestly, I'm a little concerned that Like everything else in our life, we're being discipled by something besides Jesus. And we're being taught how to see crowds, right? We see crowds, we see issues, don't we? We see Republican issues and Democrat issues. We see black issues and white issues. We see social issues. We see issues. We listen to what they say. We see issues. But crowds are more than issues, aren't they? Crowds are people. Now, people gather into crowds for a reason. Just like at the Saints game today, they'll have a reason for being there. There'll be heart motivations involved. People at political rallies, they've got something inside of them that makes them reach out to something else and get around other people that are like them. People in riots, they have reasons for being there. They get around other people who feel a certain way and have certain ideas that, that they identify with, right? Crowds. In your outline, I put the crowds are that mix of humanity that include people like us and people who are not like us. People who grew up exactly like we did and people who grew up extremely different, We are not all experiencing and being shaped by the same encounters, difficulties, opportunities, and people. I don't know if this leapt out at you, but I think when you see humanity and you don't just see crowds and issues, to me it was amazingly similar. In the humanity category... The crowd at the Capitol looked just like the crowd burning down police precincts. In their humanity, to me, they looked an awful lot alike. Now, if you only see their issues, they look quite different, don't they? But what if you could see their humanity? What if you could see the crowds? 
and their individualism. Follow this thought with me. There are crowds of people who feel that their ability to have a good, safe, and fulfilling life is being stolen from them by some other group. The way of life that they have or hope for is being threatened by another group's power and position. Whether you're a middle-income suburbanite or you're an impoverished minority, we are all seeking to obtain, to protect, or to improve a way of life that provides us with either the American dream or some version of our own personal dream. We're all seeking to escape from our fears and to take hold somehow of our ambitions, every last one of us. You have lived a life so far that it's taught you to be afraid of certain things and to want certain things. And you share that in common with every other human being that walks this earth. And who you get around is very much a reflection of how those fears sit in you and how those ambitions sit in you. That's how you find your crowd. But that other crowd with the other set of issues, they just happen to be running from a different list of fears than the ones you're running from. But they're still running. And they happen to be longing for something that's a little different than what you're longing for. You crave something. You want something. They want something too. You know, anger is seldom a human emotion that doesn't have its origins in some form of fear. Seldom. You see people that are really, really angry. Do you stop for a moment and ask the question, what is that guy so afraid of? If you want to really see the crowds, you may have to ask some of those kinds of questions. Every face in that crowd is living a life that is infiltrated by sin and vulnerable to Satan. Every face in that crowd is living a life that is infiltrated by sin and vulnerable to Satan, the spiritual predator in our world. And next week, we're going to interact a little bit with this passage and passages around in 1 Peter chapter 5. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's a fact. That's not fantasy. That's not coming from some latest Marvel movie. That's not some book that somebody wrote that's really weird and way out there. That's a fact. There is a spiritual being on the loose in this world called Satan. And he is actively roaming about like a roaring lion, seeking who to mangle next. And it's not going to be unusual, dear Christian, it's not going to be unusual that you and I happen upon somebody who's been mangled. Do they have to have your issue right for you to care about that? They're part of the wrong crowd. Yeah, but they've been mangled by the same devil. The same one that mangles you and your children and your family. 
and they're struggling with sin and they're doing the wrong thing. Yeah, can we all agree with that? Can we all agree that there's a bunch of crowds out there doing the wrong thing? Can we just get past that? Can we graduate from infant thinking? Can we lay hold of the revelation that God has given us about eternity and about what really is going on around here? And not be fighting over, was that wrong or right? Let's just live there. Let's not see anything further. Let's forget the fact that sin has infiltrated every human being. Do you got a way out for that? Well, actually you do, don't you? And a real devil mangles people every day. Every day. And if you've ever been mangled by him, do you have any compassion for others who are being mangled by him? Have you been ever overtaken by your own sin? Have you ever lived within the control of how sin operates inside of you and you'd like to be happy and you'd like to be free, but you can't seem to take two steps away from that? Is there any sense of compassion for people who, this is the crowds, this is the crowds. What does Jesus do as he sees the spiritual factors of people's lives? Jesus seeing the crowds and seeing their conditions. What, what, Jesus, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You look out at humanity, you see all these issues and they're erupting in Roman form and in Jewish form and in the little segments of each one of their forms and in the greed of others and in the, the misconduct and the killing of people and the kangaroo courts, all that stuff. That's going, there's issues all over the place. And Jesus looks out at, it, at humanity and he feels compassion for them amidst all that chaos and all that foolishness and noise. And he still manages to have compassion for them. And when compassion moves him in the depths of his heart, what does he do? Matthew 9, verse 37. Then, then, in that moment, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Do, do you see a solution right here? Do you see how Jesus approaches the crowds and the issues and the noise of his day? What does he see in humanity? Well, he sees one thing that evokes compassion and he sees another that is a solution to what they need. Laborers need to go out into the harvest and bring the gospel of the kingdom to these people. That's what needs to happen. That's what Jesus saw. Now listen, let me tell you what I'm not saying today, but I am skirting this issue, and I hope you're thinking it carefully. I'm not saying that it would be wrong for any Christian to be involved in a crowd that's protesting a form of injustice in this world, or seeking to rally together with others that would alleviate human suffering in some way. That's not wrong. As a matter of fact, I think we all should learn to do that a whole lot better than we do. And, and setting this point before you is another point. It's not a replacement point to that. It's, it's not, okay, so let's not, let's not do anything. The problem is I don't hear the church doing what is the priority that we need to be doing. It's gotten sucked in like into a void of doing other things that they're not wrong to do. 
They're not bad to do, and we probably should do them at some level. But when Jesus interacted with the human condition, do not misplace this priority. This gospel of the kingdom needs to find these broken, harassed, and helpless individuals. That's what Jesus is seeking to deploy. He sees something, right? He sees their need to escape the corruption of this world and to be restored to God. That's what that term harvest means. A harvest is God reaching into the fields of the earth and taking out of that field that which is growing there and bringing it to himself. That's what the harvest is. There are people who need to get set free from this corruption and they need God. That is why the chaos exists all around us. That's why people are harassed and helpless. They need Jesus. They need to meet a heavenly father who loves them. Not like anybody else who's ever been in their world loves them. They need to meet ultimate forgiveness. So, you know, some of that anger in all of our lives comes from that nagging sense that we're wrong. We're wrong. There's something about me that's wrong. I've done something wrong that I can't fix. I continue to do things wrong that I can't fix. I've hurt other people in my life. That sense that you will never go free from that because you can't set yourself free from that because it's a sin against God. They need to be introduced to the God who looks you in the face and releases you from your sin and doesn't reward you according to what you earn and deserve. They they need to meet that God. They need to be harvested out of this hostile setting and brought into a place where they belong and they will always belong. A sense of family and community and care that is represented in the heavenly host for us for all eternity that we will never lose. We will never feel like outsiders. We will never be cast off. That crowd needs People need, people need a sense of the sovereignty of God. Are, are, are you one of those Christians? My wife and I have this conversation probably regularly where we bump into situations that people are facing where the realities of life have shown up in painful, painful ways. And one of us will often say, I don't know how people do this without the Lord. It just puzzles me. I don't know how you recover from that. I don't know how you take another breath. If I didn't know that there's a sovereign God who sees every day of my life from here into eternity and he promises that he's fully informed and fully engaged and fully planning and fully handling everything about my life. For the rest of eternity and that that it's impossible for me as his child to be out of his hands, out of bounds. If, If I don't have that revelation and life is coming at me the way it's coming at people today, I am full of panic and fear and freaking out and vulnerable to everything over and over and over again. Can you, do you understand how much you have been rescued from the vulnerability feeling that people face? Because you know God is for you. And you know he's miraculous. 
and you know he's intentional. But, but when you look at the crowds, they have not met that God. They don't know that. So I get it. Harassed and helpless, helpless, thrown down, mangled and mauled can make you respond to a lot of stuff in a lot of ways. I get that. I get that. And then Jesus, his next thing is to tell them to pray. Pray, therefore, earnestly. Pray earnestly. Don't just pray, but do pray. But pray earnestly, earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You look out at the crowds, your heart is seized by their being harassed and their being helpless. And he has compassion for them. And he says, pray first and ask the Lord to send laborers into their lives that there might be a harvest, that they might be restored to God. Go back to Michael Wilkins' thought. Kurt, you can come back up, by the way. Michael Wilkins says, he is moved by the profound needs of the crowd and motivated to send out workers who will bring healing to sin-sick humanity. We must get close enough to them to see how it is that we can bring the healing touch of the gospel of the kingdom to their deepest needs. The gospel of the kingdom, not a political platform, not a social cause, though you're welcome to have an opinion about which one of those you think really helps humanity the most. You're welcome. Have an opinion. But please don't see that as a solution to this situation. Jesus didn't ask for a a representative from some viewpoint to be sent out into the world who could help these people better debate their issues. He asked that the kingdom and the gospel of the kingdom be brought to these people. That, that's what will heal them. He, and then right after, he's moved with compassion and he prays and tells his disciples to pray. Matthew chapter 10, he mobilizes. He does exactly what he just prayed and said we should pray about. He sends out laborers. Matthew 10 verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out. And then in verse 7, he told them, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Enter into the brokenness of these people's stories in the same way that I did. Bring them the gospel of the kingdom and bring them the power of God so that they can get set free from these afflictions and from these things that are tormenting and destroying them out of a heart of compassion for them. We do two things for us this morning. Let me, uh, let me talk just for a moment to, to those of you who are very in touch that you're in the crowd. You're one of the people Jesus is describing. 
your life feels harassed and helpless. You feel like sin came along and did a number on you and then this predator showed up and mauled you. And you do, you feel like you're just bleeding on the side of the road now. Can, can you take up something in this passage? Can you see that you are not unnoticed by Jesus? You are not unnoticed by him. And you know, sometimes mauled and mangled produces the most difficult exteriors that any of us can imagine. Let's just face it, some of us are hard to be around. Can you recognize that there is a Savior who loves you in such a way that he can see deeper than that? The stuff about you that's run everybody out of your life. The stuff about you that's made everybody angry at you. The stuff about you that's made you feel lonely and isolated. He sees more than that. And he wants to bring the gospel of the kingdom. He would sit down with you. He would let a long long line form. And he would wait person after person after person after person after person to pray with you. To meet you in the place where you are, where sin and Satan has been at work. So can I, can I pray for just for some folks here this morning first? Maybe you haven't met this Savior. That's the Savior that's here in the Scriptures. The one that went from town to town and place to place, and he engaged crowds, but he met individuals who were part of that crowd. Just bow our heads together just for a moment. Just let Jesus just find wherever you are this morning and meet you here. Oh, I shouldn't tell this story. All right, let me just get your attention one more second. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. I don't, I don't tell it much. Because it, it's, it's overwhelming to get near the compassion of Jesus. Overwhelming. Some of the songs Kurt led us through this morning uh, put me a little bit too in touch with that again. There was a time when uh, many years ago, a number of us were seeking to bring this gospel of the kingdom into a very remote place in Mexico, into villages where folks just live a totally different world than what we live in. And we would pray. We were asking the Lord of the harvest, and we were there for the purpose of harvest, to bring the gospel to these remote places and I'm going to say I made the mistake. I don't mean that. I made the mistake of asking God to show me his heart for these people. And there was this encounter with God in this upper room where we would gather for prayer. And it was like a blinding light was opened in like a window and there was this old woman's 
face that came with this blinding light and then this rush of feelings that flooded into me. I, I was wasted. I was destroyed. I was feeling the compassion of God for this woman. I began to ask God to stop, stop showing it to me. It was, it was overwhelming. And I can't even remember it without being overwhelmed now. It is, it is that feeling that God has for you and for this world that sends us to each other and sends us out into the world. And my prayer is that you would not have an idea that God doesn't have affections for you and concerns and care that he comes to you. He comes to you. No matter what you look like on the outside, he sees more than just your hard shell on the outside. So this morning, if if that's you, maybe you're watching at home, can you let him in past the shell? You're never going to meet somebody who cares about you the way he does and who understands that brokenness in you the way he does. He's coming. He's the one who comes and heals. I love the fact that he just didn't say, just bring the gospel of the kingdom. He said, heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers and cast out demons. That's what he does. He comes in and he touches the stuff that wrecks our lives. So let's bow our hearts together. Lord, would you help every person here, every person watching this morning to feel the nearness of your compassion for them. That you have sought them out, that you see beyond what any other human being sees. Lord, you see deeply into us. You see our story. You see our need. And Lord, rather than running away from us, you're sending people to us. You're moving toward us. You're bringing the gospel of the kingdom to us. You are touching the things that afflict us. That's who you are. Lord, would you be that right here this morning? Lord, there's some folks here, they don't have an experience of that. Lord, they they need more than an awareness that this is what's at the end of Matthew chapter 9. They need you to come near to them today, right now. Lord, folks who are watching or who are in a place where they, they feel the recklessness of their own life, the helplessness of their own soul. Lord, Lord, come near. You have good news for them. You can take them out of this place. You can heal their lives. I pray for that. So if you're here this morning and you, you know you need Jesus, He's come for you. He came looking for you. He came to the crowds. He came to you. Receive from him. He wants to give you the good news of his forgiveness. He wants to take you out of this broken world. He wants to give you an eternal place with him. He wants to let you belong to his family. He wants to introduce you to the love of the Father. You just need to say yes. Yes, Lord, I know I need that and I want that. And I, 
This morning, I receive that from you. Lord, I open my heart to you. Come, Lord. Come be that for me. Come be that in my life. Come touch these broken places. Come bring healing into what's affected me. I trust you and I look to you, my Savior, my God, my King. God, I thank you for every person who's here as a part of Lakeview Christian Center who the story at some point in their life was how much healing you have brought to us. How much you have touched the brokenness of our lives. How much you have harvested us out of this horrible world and brought us near to yourself. Lord, to us you are speaking and saying, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Lord, may may we see crowds in a way that compel us to pray earnestly, Lord. May we see crowds that compel us to figure out how to get next to them, how to send others to them, how to bring the gospel of the kingdom to them, how to interfere with the attack of the enemy on their souls. Lord, would you mobilize an army, Lord? In 2021, Lord, we're coming out of a a year that put on display how broken, angry, dysfunctional this world is. Lord, you're not calling us in 2021 to back away from that world. No, 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 no. You are sending us to that world. So God, this, this morning, would you invade our hearts and compel us on your mission, Lord? Send us, Lord, send us. Here am I, Lord. Send me past the issues, past my debate points, past the arguments I might have with somebody in that moment into their harassment and their helplessness with the wonderful good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name. Kurt, do you have a song for us? Let's stand and sing. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. So that everyone might know your name. Let your song be heard.